0: Please stand and join us as we begin our worship together by singing his praises. Just we. So oh.
1: You are Lord of all. We are here today to proclaim that we believe you to be the King, the risen King, and you are worthy of all of our worship and more. We thank you for being present with us as we gather today. Be glorified. In the songs that we sing, in the prayers that we pray, in the scripture we read, the words that we speak. And let us leave here different than we've come. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to share with a greeting with others who are here in worship today. Notice that tonight, Cornelia starts at five in Wesley Chapel. So just please take note of that. Small groups continue meeting, and also, as I mentioned last week, we started uh, experimenting a little bit with a, a sermon discussion format on the website. We've updated that, tweaked that a little bit. So uh, after today's sermon, you can go to the website. You can post comments you want to make. Uh, might not be up till tomorrow. I don't know exactly how that works, but um, we'll get that going. But feel free to to engage in that and I'll respond as I can. But uh, it's an opportunity for us just to talk more about what we're talking about on Sunday. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Next Sunday morning is the We Gather for Worship 8, 29, and 11. And it'll be the last of this uh, series we've been talking about uh, our vision as a church. And we'll be talking next week about a church that forgives like Christ i uh, also be hosting a membership class during the month of February, probably later in the month. If you're interested in knowing more about that, about joining the church, what it means to be a part of, the, of membership, uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I'll get you connected to that. And uh, as we get folks together, we'll have a, the schedule of the class in later in February. There are a number of prayer concerns, as always, in the bulletin. And I want to add to, to this list... Uh, We pray for the family of Elizabeth Simons. Uh, Her husband was a longtime pastor in the district, and he died about a year ago. And she died on uh, Friday over in the Syracuse area. And her arrangements or the visitation will be tomorrow from 2 to 4 and 7 to 9 at Copeland Williams Junior Home. The service will be here Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock. And uh, we want to pray for this family at this time of grief and loss. At this time, we're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
0: More than just another song, more than just one melody, Maybe what we need is silence Maybe what we need is to be still And listen for the still small voice Cause we don't want to miss a whisper Jesus, now we lean in closer Sing with us Lord we want to know your heart Lord we want to know what moves you to understand what makes you weep to understand what makes you sing and smile This will be our life's one To seek the one whose love has sought us, gazing on your shine. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening, your servants are listening.
1: We have the opportunity to listen corporately to what God is saying to us as a part of our opportunity to pray together if you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer your place to listen to what God is saying to you and to pour out your heart to God I invite you to come and to join me Others, we contemplate your goodness to us. As we contemplate the power of the risen Christ, your love to us in Christ, and the gift of your Holy Spirit, we want to hear what you have to say to us. So in this moment of silence, speak we are listening. Father, we hear your words of love and grace. And we need to hear those words because we continue to struggle to be the people that you have created us to be. We come this morning acknowledging our failings this past week. The selfish decisions we've made the ways that we've hurt one another, the, all that we have done to go against your will and your purposes for us. We ask your forgiveness. Whisper to us words of grace. Father, we pray that you will speak into our lives, our pain, our suffering, our grief, our loss, our hurt. We pray, Father, for your grace on the struggling, the problems we struggle with at, at work, at home, at school, the various places in which we find ourselves, even in this church. Hear our prayers of intercession and bring healing and peace to all who are in need. Father, we pray for this world that you've created. We are grieved by so many of the events that are taking place in our world, the bloodshed, violence, the human struggle with sin that wreaks havoc throughout the world. We pray, Father, that you will bring peace to our world. We pray that you will bring power to your church, that we would be light in the midst of darkness and hope in the midst of despair. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for this world. Father, open our eyes to see as you see, to hear as you hear. Open our minds to think as you think. Open our arms to embrace as you embrace. Open our hearts to love as you love. And let us do it all for the glory of your name. For the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, in whose strong and powerful and loving name we pray. Amen.
0: Our scripture reading is from Acts two, forty two through forty seven. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he needed. Every day as they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke their bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily to those who were being saved. Please stand as we sing together.
1: speak into our hearts and our lives through your word and help us to hear and we ask this through Christ Amen please be seated Let me ask you to think about your reaction to this statement. He has not God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. Let me say that again. He has not God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. He has not God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. I suspect that that strikes us just, it's one of those statements that we sort of say, well, I I kind of agree with that and I kind of don't. I'm I'm wrestling with with the fact that I, I can't really know God if I don't really have, I'm not really engaged with the church. You know, we, we like the church, we're here. We might even say that we love the church and, and we connect with the church. But to say that we can't really know God outside of the church is probably something that we are going to do some mental wrestling with to really come to grips to understand and to agree with. And there, I like, one of the reasons for that is because... You know, in our in our culture, especially in in the American culture, you know we we almost worship independence. And so this statement by Cyprian of Carthage, third century leader of the church, who was martyrs for his faith, is foreign to us. A couple of months ago, Alan Miller wrote an article I read on the CNN webpage, and it was titled, I'm spiritual but not religious is a cop out, and and I would not say I don't know a lot about Alan Miller, but I did a little bit of research about him, and I did not get the feeling that he was in the mainstream evangelical church. I'm not even sure about his connection to the church at all, but his article was insightful, and he talked about how there is this new generation, and he called it the Me Generation, that that has come to believe that we can be not just as spiritual, but actually maybe more spiritual on our own than we could ever be by be connecting ourselves to some of, to a religious institution, including the church. And he says, that's a cop-out. Because really all, all we're saying, all we're really doing is saying, I want what I want. And the church challenges me, the religious institutions are, make demands on me, and I don't want those demands. And so there is this concept that, you know, I, I'm not totally opposed to that, to the church, to the religious organizations, but they're flawed, they're, they're, they're human, they, they have struggles, they, I don't like a lot of things that they do. And so I, I think I can be just as spiritual on my own, probably more spiritual than without that. And he says, what it boils down to is you got people who say they, they think of spirituality as just feeling good and, and doing nice things, but there's really no sense of challenge or transformation as the end result of being spiritual. And I think we understand why, not just this generation he's describing, but I think wider generations, why we wrestle to. Not believe that. Why, why that becomes ingrained in us. Because, you know, the, the church is fallible. And the church, it does, there are problems in the church. And it's a struggle. And, and we've been hurt by the church. And people are, are put down by the church. And there's judgmentalism in the church. There's all these things that we don't like in the church. But the truth is, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything when it comes to connecting our faith. With God. Because when we look through the history of God's people, it has always been about being connected to God's people. And that's why when we, when we were sitting down thinking about what God wants us to be as a church. And we we're putting together a purpose statement, and the vision statement. And, and thinking and praying about if we were to be the church that God wants us to be. What would that look like? And that's why one of the bullet points that we, that we wrote down as a part of this is that empowered by God's spirit, we will affirm our strong dependence on each other. We will affirm our strong dependence on each other. Now understand, by making that statement including that, we're not saying that's one of the steps to get to be the church that we ought to be. Depending on each other is what the church looks like when it is what it's supposed to be. I think we wrestle to really believe that. I think we struggle to really embrace that. Because all of our lives we have been told it's about what I do. It's how far I can go. It's what I can accomplish. And yeah, it's not that it's not within the context of something bigger, but it still boils down to me. And the church continues to to, uh, speak against that. And the best example we see of that is this passage we read in Acts chapter 2. And here we have this picture of the early church. In the beginning of chapter 2, this this Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and it becomes this day of Pentecost and the church is born. And we get to the end of the chapter and we see this image of the church. And and it's an amazing image of what what it looks like when the church is dependent, when the church is connected together. And you see this connectedness among the people of the church. And what do we see here? We see that they are learning from each other. They are, they are connected together so that they are teaching one another. They're learning from each other. And that's one of the humble things about being connected and being dependent with each other as the church. It's not just me teaching you. It's you teaching me. It's us teaching each other. As we journey through this together, that's part of being connected, being dependent on each other. There is a sense of testing what the Spirit says to us that we find when we are connected and dependent on each other. You know, we, we all want to, to believe that, the God, that God speaks into our hearts, that God speaks into our lives and our minds, and that God gives us a word. The problem is we don't always hear God clearly because we are fallible, flawed human beings. And sometimes that what we think is a word from God may not be at all. And how are we going to know that unless we have other people around us to help us test that? And it's one of the things that the church does for each other. We speak to each other about what God is saying into our lives. When you hear ever so often, you hear stories of someone who, who goes off and does something heinous. And they say, God told me to do this. I am 100% sure that was somebody who was not connected to a larger group of believers. Because a larger group of believers would have said to them, I'm pretty sure God didn't tell you to do that. It's that independent, I'm going to listen to God myself, and I don't care what anybody else says, that leads us to behavior that we shouldn't do. I think about this in a larger sense. You know, the, you're probably aware of the, the church in Kansas that pickets at some of the military funerals and, and holds signs about how much God hates people who are opposed to him and this vitriolic language. And, and I've read some and seen some things about this church, and they believe they're very independent. They believe that they are really the only, the only true believers. And, but, and I suspect that if they would open themselves up to other people and say, Okay, we've gotten this word from God that we ought to go do this. What do you guys think? It might change what they do. But it's that spirit of independence, that spirit of arrogance... There's always comes out of of that strong spirit of independence that leads them to do things that we consider wrong as followers of Christ. And we need that in each other. We need that sense of testing each other and keeping each other accountable and making sure that what we're hearing really is from God. And a part of us bristles at that because we think, well, I just want to do what I want to do. I don't, I don't want other people telling me what to do, but that's the whole point. We need other people to help us understand what God is saying to us. And there's a sense of serving together. You know, that we, that we share the ministry of the church with each other. We teach each other's children. We work with each other's youth. We, we connect each other to the body. We serve together outside of the church. In the ministry of the church, we work together and we can accomplish so much more together than any of us can individually. We give of ourselves in service and in compassion and being there for each other and connecting our lives to each other. So that when one person is hurting, we can step in and support them and care for them. And when it's reversed and we're hurting, people step in to care for us. You can't do that when you're just all on your own. And there's this idea of sharing that we see here in this picture. It talks about how whatever they had, they they shared with one another. And as anybody had need, that they shared with them. And they just had this sort of community feel of what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And that sort of grates on us in our independent culture. We tend to say what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. And I might share with you if I have enough. But in the body of Christ that we see in this picture, it's just, if if I have it, you have it. If you have it, I have it. It's all ours. Because we're in this thing together and we share together. And that's why we talk about, you know, giving to the church and, and giving to each other. And giving to the body. We're able to accomplish so much more because as we give to the church, we're able to... to you know, have Sunday school classes and Wednesday night ministry to our children and youth ministry and, and missions, and we we help people who are in need through the food pantry and the benevolent fund, and we and we have staff that can lead us and guide us and, and help us in counseling and all the different things that we do, and all of this is because we give to each other. And quite frankly, you know, we don't talk about a lot about money, but quite frankly, we're we're a long ways behind in our budget. And maybe even as we're talking today and thinking today about our dependence on each other and our connectedness to each other, maybe God will lay on your heart to say, I can be a little more generous right now. And I can help with the ministries of the church. Maybe I can't go do all of those things other people can do, but as I give, it frees up other people to do those things as we share together. But we do that not only as a local body, we do that as the wider church also. You know, our church is a part of a western New York district of Wesleyan churches. And and we are sister churches and we share things and we work together. One of the most profound examples of that was a couple of years ago. Our, our district we have this big liability insurance policy through the district. And all the churches are tied into that. And of course, because we're all together in one policy, we get a better rate. And we changed insurance companies so that we could get better coverage and lower premiums. And what ended up happening out of that was that about a third of the churches premiums stayed the same. And about another third, their premiums went way down and another third, their premiums went up a little bit. And ironically, the churches that were the largest, their premiums went down and the churches that seemed to be the smallest, their premiums went up. And so as the district leadership looked at this, we said, they said to uh, the churches and we were one of the larger churches and our premiums went down. And they said to those of us who went down, would you be willing to give back some of what you have saved so that we can put that into the fund so that these smaller churches that have to, are going to have to pay higher premiums won't have to do that. And they can, their premiums stay the same. And our response was, of course. Of course we do that. That's what we're about. We're about sharing. We're about giving to each other. We're about helping each other. That's what we do. And I don't think there was a church in that list of, of churches that gained from this new decision that didn't say immediately, sure. We're glad to do that. We help each other. As as we do that on the larger scale, we do that on the smaller scale. And we share together. That's what the church does. And that's our connectedness and our dependence on each other. And there is this, this sense of sacrifice that we make for each other. And whatever it may be, that's what happens. And we can look at sacrifice as negative or we can look at it as positive. We tend to think of sacrifice a little bit negatively when we're the ones sacrificing. But we embrace it when others are sacrificing for us, right? It's all of us together. And that's the church. That's what we do for each other. That's the image that we see here in this passage in Acts. And it ought to be the most natural thing in the world for us. But it's hard because we have this independent mindset in us. And the church is continually calling us to, to give up that mindset and to think about our connectedness and our dependence on each other. I'm, I'm not real big on, on running. Now, I don't mind running if I've got a ball in my hand. You know, if I'm playing basketball or baseball, football, or something like that. I don't, I don't mind running. But just to go out and run, I, I never quite understood that. And now, with bad knees and out of shape, I can't even think about doing it in the first place. Now, there was a period of time in seminary where I got into running, and and I did find it very invigorating. But I admire people who are able to run. People who can run sprints at such speed I can't even imagine. And people who can run long distances for a period of time I can't even imagine. And a couple of months ago, I was talking with one of the guys in the church who runs cross-country. And he was. Ta- we were just talking about the idea of what it means to be on a cross-country team. And when I think of cross-country, I typically think of the person who wins. We think of that in a race. But he was saying that's not exactly how cross-country works. In cross-country, it's not so much about the individual as it is about the team. It's a team sport, even though we might not see it that way. And in the, in this sport, you get a point... Depending on the place, your placement. So if you're first, you get one point. If You're second, you get two points. Third, you get three points, and on you go. And of course, it's like golf: low score wins. And you have five runners on your team. And to win the team, you have to have the lowest score. And he was talking about how coaches will often tell you know you have members of your team who can run faster or slower. And the the good coaches will, of course, encourage the slower runners to try to increase their time and to run faster. But the good coaches also encourage the fastest runners to back down just a little bit on their speed. So that the slower runners can feel connected to them and they will maybe pull them to run just a little bit faster. Because the point is not to be first. The point is to win as a team. He was saying that his brother, when he ran cross country in high school, their team won the state championship, and it wasn't because they had somebody who placed first, second, third, even fourth, but their team placed fifth, sixth, seventh, ninth, and eleventh, and they won. And something in us says, "Well, that's great, but who really won?" They did. And the church is about, is it, the church is a team sport. Being a Christian is a team sport. And I don't think we always see it that way. We tend to think as long as I'm worrying about my life, that's all I can do. I got enough stuff to worry about on my own, much less thinking about anybody else. But that's not the image of the church that we find in the New Testament and throughout history It's not just about me, it's about us. Because we rise and fall together. That's why in the Old Testament, when when the kings turn away from God, everyone suffers. And when the kings follow God, everyone benefits. It's because they rise and fall together. And the church rises and falls together. And somehow to get that into our minds... That we are connected to each other. We are in this together. I think sometimes we, we see this like, like playing the game of life. You remember that game, you know, the board has a little spinner that makes a clicky-clack noise. Little cars, you know, with the little blue and pink pegs you put in. And the little car goes around the track. And, of course, the gobs of games get the most money. But you hit the end. And at the beginning of that game, you have to make a choice. Are you going to go to college or are you going to just enter a profession? Which do you want to do? And there are, there are pros and cons to taking either way. As you go along the game, you find there are pros and cons to taking that way. But you, you have to choose a path. And then there are things that will happen to you as the game goes along because of the path that you choose. And I think there's something in our minds that's that when we become a Christian, we think Jesus says to us, Okay, now that you're one of my followers, you've got to make a choice. You want to engage in the church or do you want to kind of do your own thing? And you know, pick which one you want. There are pros and cons to both, but you know take take what you want. That's not the case. Jesus says, You're gonna be one of my followers? You're in you're in this church. You're part of the church. Because only when we're a part of the church, it's in the church, that we find the, the path and the ability to to be mature people to come to a maturity and a depth of faith that we cannot find on our own by ourselves it is impossible because in the church we're going to be challenged in the church we're going to be tested in the church we're going to we're going to interact with people that we would maybe rather not interact with we're going to have struggles with people and we're going to be faced continually with a choice. Am I going to be selfish or selfless? Am I going to respond to people like Christ or not? And every one of those decisions is going to move us a little bit closer to Christ or a little bit further away from Christ. But those challenges are what we need to surrender to Christ and to become mature in Christ. You know, the, the hard part is that is that we we have this sense that the early church is perfect, and all you gotta do is read the New Testament, and you see it's not. And we have this idyllic picture here in chapter 2. By the time you get to chapter 5, you've got, you got a, greed has already entered the church. You get to chapter 6, and you've got racism and prejudice entering the church. And at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, these two great men of faith, gets in such a disagreement, they can't even work together anymore. And, I, you know, through the years, people have said to, to me, I've heard people say, you know, we just want to be a New Testament church. I say, I mean, I know what they mean. They mean this, but I want to say to them, really? Seriously? Which one do you want to be? You want to be Corinth? With all the, you know, immoral behavior in Corinth and, and how they've desecrated the, the, the Lord's Supper. You want to be the church in Galatia with all their legalism. Which church do you want to be? I mean, the reality is the church is central to the New Testament, but it's not perfect. And God uses that, even that imperfection, to challenge His people to trust Him more, to, to deeper things because we're continually being challenged about our faith. Are we going to forgive people? Are we going to stay connected to people? Are we going to run away from them? Are we going to hang in there together with each other even when we disappoint each other, even when we hurt each other? Even would we rather just go our own way. And the church presents us with those kinds of challenges that we simply will not find if we just back away and think it's just about me. And you can't learn to be selfless by yourself. It's impossible. The only way you can learn to be selfless is to be around people who challenge you to be selfless. the church is continually trying to get better, We're continually trying to improve, or continually trying to be like Christ. But it is a process, and the process is continually calling us to surrender. And as we talked last week, to acknowledge our brokenness and our weakness. When you get to the end of 2 Timothy, and Paul writing to his great son in the faith is agonizing about coming to meet him. And he talks about all the people who've deserted him and all the people who have turned their backs on him and how frustrated he is with them. And, And Paul is crying out for help. And you read that and you think, man, Paul seems pretty weak and helpless here. And he is. And he's not afraid to acknowledge it. He's not at all afraid to say, I need you. I need you, Timothy, to come to me. And I need Mark to come to me. And I need Luke to come to me. I need you we need each other. And we need to have that sense, that commitment to each other of dependence and connectedness that Christ intended for his people and for the church. And the object is not to say, how independent can I be and still be dependent on others? And the object is not, how dependent can I be and still be independent it is both truths we are in a personal we have to make personal decisions about how we're going to follow Christ and live for him but we do that in the context of the church of God's people and we live as with most everything else that's important we live in the tension of those two truths but far too often we focus all of our attention on me rather than on us. We have to keep coming back to, it's about us. It's about Christ in us and our dependence on each other and our connectedness to each other. As You ponder, where did this idea come? Where did this idea come from about the dependence of, that Christ is calls us to in the church. Where, where does that idea originate? And it seems to me that that idea, the spirit of dependence that Christ is calling us to as the church, that idea originates in the spirit of the Trinity. The Godhead is not a static relationship, it is dynamic. And I don't claim to understand. The Trinity, uh, all that there is related to the Trinity, and I can't wrap my mind around the Trinity, and I don't know of anyone, possibly human being who can. It is beyond us. But one thing we find from the Scriptures is that there is this dynamic dependence and connectedness of the Godhead, of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And they are continually playing off one another and connected to one another. And in his high priestly prayer, the last prayer Jesus prays before he's arrested and goes to the cross, he says, Father, I've glorified you, you glorify me. And then he says, Father, what is yours is mine, what's mine is yours. And in that same paragraph, he talks about the Spirit coming to sanctify his people. There is this interconnectedness, this interdependence of the Godhead. And for anyone to say, well, we worship God the Father and we don't really pay any attention to Jesus or the Spirit doesn't understand the Trinity. And there are churches who who call themselves Jesus-only churches. We're just about Jesus and we don't really pay any attention to God the Father or the Spirit. They don't understand the Trinity. And there's some who say it's all about the Spirit and God the Father, God the Son. Well, that's sort of secondary. They just don't get it. It is only when all of them together, all of them together is what make up God. And if that is the relationship of the Trinity, then surely it is the relationship of those who follow it and are filled with the Spirit. It is what we're about. The church is the place where we grow to maturity in Christ. Eugene Peterson says the church is, is the primary place where we learn the language of love because we are continually being challenged to choose love. And nowhere are we challenged more. Nowhere do we see the dependence and the need and the connectedness for love more than in the church. so I go come back to Cyprian's statement. He has not God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. And I'd like for us to take just a few moments to think, to ponder, to pray about our commitment to dependence on each other by our lives by our decisions by our actions are we truly affirming our dependence on each other and is God speaking into our hearts about a particular place where we're letting that slip where there's a crack where we really aren't all that committed to it what's our mindset about affirming our dependence on each other let's pray Father, you know our struggle about wanting our independence. Our struggle to truly embrace our dependence on each other. Help us today to to hear you speaking into our hearts and our lives. And give us courage and grace to risk, to be vulnerable, that we might know the joy and the blessing of dependence on each other as your children. And we pray this through Christ. Amen.
0: creation can ever separate us from the love of our infinite God. And it's not that we first loved him, but that he first chose to love us, even as in sin and darkness we try What shall we say Response to this If God is for us, who can be against us? He who has lavished his love upon us has called us to love like he does, so let us consider how we.
1: Benediction. May God make your love increase and overflow for each other and for all people, just as He does ours for you. And may He fill your mind and your heart and strengthen you in your spirit that you may be holy and blameless in the presence of our God and Father in the day that Jesus Christ comes with all of His holy ones. Amen. <laughs>